Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things. Hey, so today on the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, this is our very first edition, and we are so pleased to bring on Zach Bitter. Zach Bitter, just only six days, six days ago, ended up breaking the Guinness World Record for the fastest 100 miles and 12 hours on a treadmill. About seven months ago at Six Days in the Dome, uh, Zach also crushed the, the, the world record for the fastest 100 miles ever run by a human being at 11 hours and 19 minutes. Uh, six days ago, Zach ended up running um, 100 miles on the treadmill and ended up running uh, 12 hours and nine minutes. That's a blazing seven minutes and 18 seconds per minute mile on average for the 100 miles on the treadmill. Yeah, Zach, nice to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dave and Joe. Yeah, so, so you've had a busy week. Uh, how are you recovering? How are things feeling? Yeah, you know, physically, not too bad, actually. I think uh, the treadmill deck that I had lined up was fairly soft. So, um, you know, I wasn't limping around too badly the next day. It was definitely the biggest kind of hurdle, I think, to get over on the day was just understanding kind of the psychology and the mental component of the the treadmill and uh i don't think i'm too scarred from it but <laughs> it's uh you know it's been it's been all right you know relative to other 100 milers i've done on hard surfaces i think like physically things kind of bounce back pretty quick usually you get you know get a couple good nights sleep in and that really helps things and um you know stay off uh stay off your legs a little bit for for a few days at least and and that's that's progressed nicely so i can't complain too much Excellent, excellent. And so, so tell me about um, tell me about the day in general. Overall, you, were you happy with how things went? I know um, your 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 world record is is eleven hours and nineteen minutes, and so you know twelve hours and nine minutes is is, is still you know about fifty minutes um, off of that that world record time. Did you find that running on treadmill was harder than running running around an indoor track? Yeah, you know it's really interesting, Dave, because I think like when I think about my race in August at the Pettit Center with where I ran 1119, that was kind of like a, a culmination of nearly six years worth of work where I made a lot of mistakes along the way, corrected them, and then ultimately had a day where, you know, I didn't have any really big mistakes or any big hurdles to kind of get over. And I just happened to be uh, fit that race and everything and it all, everything kind of lined up. So I, I had what I would consider my best race. And then uh, the treadmill, I think, reminded me kind of a little bit what it's like to do something new where like there's things you don't really necessarily have accounted for because you haven't done it before there's just just differences in it and uh, I felt a little bit more like a newbie ultra runner as opposed to an experienced like track ultra marathon runner where I've done you know multiple of these beforehand so uh, a few things kind of stick out that probably cost me some time but to be honest I don't know if the treadmill is necessarily faster or not I think it's Physically, it maybe at times feels faster because uh, you know you're no, you don't have any wind resistance. You're in one place. You can control literally everything. But uh, uh, you know, just just being on a, a machine that's kind of telling you what to do versus kind of free flow running, like you're going to do even on a short track, is a little bit of a kind of a mind warp. Like you feel like you just got to jump off it every once in a while. It seems like, and um, I'd be kind of curious what you what your thoughts are and kind of how you tackled that, but. Uh, I also had like, I, I really underestimated the fluid intake. I was 
tried to make the climate as close as I could to the Pettit Center, which for folks listening, it's an Olympic training facility for speed skating, hockey, and things like that. So they keep it pretty chilly in there. Uh, so I tried bring the thermostat down. I put a, an air conditioner in the room, had fans going and things. I thought I could get at least ballpark kind of climate and then I could like implement my hydration fueling strategy from, from the Pettit Center. And that, that was way off. <laughs> I was like, I think I got to two hours and I was already like feeling like the negative effects of like dehydration. So uh, I fortunately recognized that and started drinking a lot more fluids. And I think I had an hour, like the third hour or fourth hour where I took like four electrolyte tabs and just kind of spent a couple hours just really working on catching back up on that. And thankfully it works. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Like you get far enough behind and there's like no turning back because you're never really going to completely catch up when you're running all day like that, and especially if it gets warm. But um, yeah, I just, I, I, if I could go back and do it again, I would have a better, more informed, I guess, fluid intake program from the beginning. And maybe that would have helped run a little faster. And then the other hiccup we actually had is, we ran so much power through that room that we had the treadmill set up in with like the air conditioner and the, the, re, the video recording stuff. And then the treadmills that in the, like the first few hours, our screens on the treadmills were timing out. So right. like they would just freeze and that's how we were calculating distance and pay or distance and time. So like it was, it'd be, it would freeze up. And usually after the first time I caught it, I'd catch it right away and just hop over to the other one. And then we would restart the treadmill and it'd be fine. And uh, it took us a few hours though to realize it was a power issue, not a treadmill issue. So once we figured out it was a power issue, we just took an extension cord and ran it to the other side of the house. And that seemed to fix it because then after that, I was able to spend like, I think a couple, a couple stretches of 20 miles on a single treadmill. And uh, you know, that's another thing you just don't really know, like in, until you do it or, you know, you realize something like it's, it's, it's ultra running as finest. I guess you have things that are going to come up that you don't necessarily anticipate and you have to respond to them in the best way possible. And usually that means you're going to lose a little time, but if you stay focused, you can still have a relatively good day. So like, those are kind of the two things that I feel like if I could correct those, I would maybe be able to squeeze down a little closer to 1119. But um, the other thing I really thought was different just in general about it was just the psychology of sitting on that machine for that long. And like at mile 87, even I had a point where like, I just had to get off it. Like I got off it, sat down for two minutes and just said, okay, refocus. I just kind of let my mind reset. And when I got back on, I was perfectly fine. So it's like this weird little like psychological thing I had going on there that I don't know if that would get better if I did more of it or would get better if I spent more overall time on treadmills in general, or if that's just kind of reality of kind of the responding to the belt versus like moving yourself over the course of a, of a, a non-moving platform, like a track. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, uh, you sort of made a reference um, to Dave, you know, uh, Dave actually was the former holder of the record here and we have him on the podcast, uh, my partner. Yeah. Here. So, uh, so Dave was watching in earnest as you were uh, beating his record, but yeah, of course he had a similar experience and I know Dave, if any of that sort of resonates with you as well. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, to, um, you know, to jump in there, I guess, you know, it's, you know, watching you, Zach, on the day was brought back a lot of really good and really bad memories, right? <laughs> um, you know, because that getting off the treadmill at 87 miles and, you know, I think you're eating a bag of potato chips in the bathroom just to, <laughs> to, 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 to refocus or, or something. Um, you know, I was uh, lucky enough to be a guest. You, you invited me the week before and said, 
um, you know, would you mind coming on board and, and being interviewed for half an hour? And I, I stayed on and, and it was interviewed. And one of the things that I, that I, I, I talked to, uh, to Dave Scott and Dean Cremenzis was, um, I said, you know, I'm looking at Zach right now and I'm looking at him at about 40 miles in. And I said, I'm, I'm so jealous of the guy. And I said, because, you know, running outside or running around a track is, is, is tough, but running on a treadmill where, you know, you're, you're, you're stuck. It's almost like a, like a mental blender. And I said, you know, you either collapse and you, you, you fail and you say, okay, that's enough mentally. I'm, I'm done. Or you, 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 you transition into, into, into this, this next phase where this is, it's almost a self-actualization. And I, I, I know with my treadmill events, I've done two of them now, 24 hour and then hundred mile. Um, you know, those are the two biggest jumps in my, my, my running career where I learned so much about myself and ended up, um, you know, becoming a better runner. Did you, did you kind of feel that, Zach, at all? Where, where you, and I know it's only six days since, but do you, do you feel that, that this is now transitioned you or could be possibly transitioning you in the next little while to being a more complete runner? Yeah, you know, the way I'm thinking about it without having another race to kind of test this theory yet is that hopefully like it will strengthen my mental resolve in, in like some environments where you don't really maybe have as big of a mental hurdle to get over, where I can get to like mile 80 of a, of a race and think, well, at least it's not on a treadmill. <laughs> um, so I think there's part of, part of that, like that I'll, that'll be able to kind of reflect on where you kind of, I, I, I guess I would compare it to like, you know how like if you get into the sport and kind of move up in distance gradually versus jumping into the long stuff right away, you know, for me, like I did a bunch of 50 milers before I ever did a hundred miler. And then when I did my first hundred miler and went back to a 50 miler, I was like, wow, that's like really refreshing to be done like in half the amount of time or less. And just like the, the mental strength you get from like kind of going further than you think your mind can go just pays off down the road because then it makes what you used to do seem a little bit easier. And like, you can maybe push a little further, a little further past what, what's given to you like before that, before you've realized that. So that's my, like my, my positive hopes of the whole experience is that that'll like pay forward in some future races from, from like just being able to stay mentally focused longer in races or have less points where you drift off where I know like, you know, for me when I'm having like, not a great day, but like a, an, an okay day or even a bad day. Like a lot of times the reason for that is like, you just lose focus. You don't even really realize you're doing it. You get yeah. like say 35 miles into like a 50 miler and you just realize like, Oh, 10 minutes went by and I haven't been focusing on running the splits I'm trying to do at all. And then you have to try to kind of re-rally. And if that keeps happening, it ends up building up and costing you quite a bit of time by the end. So like my hope is that like the treadmill experience will allow me to be a little sharper on that. So like those sorts of things don't happen as often or at, at all in some cases. And uh, it'll save me a few minutes here and there, maybe on, on some more traditional courses. Yeah. I think uh, Zach, you highlight a point that a couple of interesting ones here. One, which is what all runners like to think is even the guys at the high end, you step function your way up to increased capability, which builds a stronger base and, Mm -hmm. So even someone, you know, who's a you know professional goes through that. And that's always sort of reassuring for the rest of us to hear. Um, you know, there's this, Dave and I talk a lot about the science and the spirit. You know, there's a science that says why that sort of monkey brain comes and gets us. And, you know, the neurotransmitters are being influenced to actually try and slow the body down when we lose our focus. And so 
you can sort of rewire yourself actively by practicing that. And I think you're, you're finding that. The thing I'm sort of curious about is how did you feel different finishing a hundred mile run race record hitting the end of a treadmill where there's no, you know, tape or anything versus finishing, you know, in the dome or a trail run. Did it like, did you like have a different emotional feeling? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I think it was, it was kind of like maybe a unique fit for a variety of reasons. I think one is just like, we're in such a weird time right now with all the COVID-19 stuff where, you know, couple months ago when the races started just like kind of like getting canceled like one after the other like just the thought of being able to do any sort of event in May was pretty bleak before I kind of decided okay maybe this treadmill thing is something I could set up and do Uh, so I think just like kind of like realizing that like wow I had a pretty unique opportunity here that a lot of people just won't even have an opportunity to to have so there was like a there's some gratitude and like a sense of like just like kind of thankfulness from that I think Mm. um but also just like I think it was uh it was almost like I felt like I was almost a little more elated to be done than I normally would be like sometimes like you get to the finish line you just feel exhausted both physically and mentally and you hardly want to hardly want to talk whereas when I finished on the treadmill I felt like you know I wanted to be like actively talking and and uh you know participating in conversation and things like that maybe a little more than normal and I'm Mm. I think maybe it, maybe it's just nor, like you start to, you normalize being on a treadmill like that in a, in a relatively monotonous environment. You kind of appreciate just like like interaction outside of yourself and responding to the machine. So uh, that's kind of how I describe it. Like like I said, kind of in the beginning too. Like physically, I felt like it didn't beat me up nearly as much. And I don't know if some of that was just because it was probably a little bit of a bigger mental battle than a physical battle for me. So uh, I just wasn't mentally able to push my body as hard as I did maybe at the Pettit Center. So I didn't feel quite as beat up or the deck of the treadmills maybe a little softer or definitely is a little softer than a track. So um, there's probably a few things working in there. But but yeah, it was uh, it's kind of an interesting, you know, fi- just even just finishing a race at your house is something that just kind of doesn't like click in your brain as to be normal. Like, you know, most of us are traveling sometimes like to different countries to do races or at least different states from time to time. And you know, you finish at a far from home, whereas like I was 10 meters from my kitchen. <laughs> right, right. And I think that that's, yeah, and I think that that speaks as well too, to, um, to your strength and, 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 and just your structural capabilities, Zach, as well too, because I know when I was being um, interviewed while, while you were doing the, the 12 hours and nine minutes on the, the 100 mile, um, I know, you know, Dave asked me, he said, you know, what's, you know, what's harder running a hundred miles outside or running a hard hundred miles on the treadmill. And I said, well, either mentally or, you know, or physically mentally, I think it's, it's a heck of a lot harder. Um, depending on what's motivating you, there's a finish line a hundred miles away. You have to run to that, or you have to run as many loops around a 400 meter track or, or whatever that is on the treadmill. You're really not going anywhere. You, 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 you press it and you, you press it and you forget it. Mm-hmm. But then physically, you know, and, and this is my question for you, Zach is, is I found that treadmills beat up my body a lot more um, than running outside. And it, it's simply because you know, every single step is exactly the same. You know, there's no variation, there's no, and I know even at six days in the dome, you know, it's very little variation, but you're still turning and bending to the one side and then bending to the other. So you're really able to, to give your body a, a little bit different of a, 
of a, of a, of a proprioceptive response. On the treadmill, did you find at all that, you know, you were noticing that every single stride, it's like, okay, it's exactly the same. There's no bends, there's no ups, there's no downs. Yeah, you can increase the speed. But did you find that that took a toll on your body at all? Um, I didn't know that I noticed that as much uh, from, uh, from on the treadmill in terms of like my, like the, the uniform mechanic side of things. Uh, but I, you know, I was changing the pace a lot. And that's actually a question I was going to ask you too, Dave, was like kind of how you paced yours. Because for me, I was like, I operated within like a range of paces and I was switching as often as multiple times a mile by the end. In the beginning, it was a little more spaced out because you just have a little more mental bandwidth. So I'd be like doing nine miles per hour, then I'd be like 8.3 and then 8.7 and then, you know, 8.5 and then just kind of going all over the board, but always giving myself like a little bit of a change to look forward to. And then by the end, I was going like, you know, I would do like a kind of a ladder where I'd start at eight miles per hour and I'd build up to like 8.7. And then I, at the end of that mile, I'd go back down to eight and then go back up to 8.7 and just a way just a way to kind of like pass to the time and like click off miles um so i don't know if maybe the frequency at which i changed the treadmill allowed me to kind of like manipulate my gait enough to not to spread out a bit but you know one thing i noticed was like the bottom of my feet that they took a bigger beating than i have at any other race mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i'm not sure if it's just you know because i think on, like on a flat treadmill it almost kind of simulates like a really slight downhill run so I wonder if maybe, and then with the moving belt, if I was just kind of like slowly just kind of like gliding across the bottom of my shoe a little more than I normally do. And that kind of caused a little more irritation there. But I do remember like walking around the next like three days, I was like, okay, my legs don't feel terrible, but the balls of my feet feel almost bruised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that is that something kind of like that you saw right. too? Or? No, absolutely. I, I remember feeling that. I felt, you know, typically my feet are okay, but after treadmill events, my feet are not okay. And I, I like you, I wear ultras. So I'm, I'm, you know, my feet are typically okay. Uh, well, what, what, what shoe did you end up using on the day? I wore the Torin. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great shoe. Yeah. yeah. Perfect for hundred mile distance. I find. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I like their update to that shoe too. It's uh, I've been, I've, I've used the Torin historically, but not for racing and just like here and there for like recovery runs, but their new one, I think I'll, I use it like frequently throughout training and stuff and my, you know my my usually i race in a little lower profile shoe like at the pettits and i wore the solstice uh back when it was still more of a running shoe and less of a gym shoe and uh yeah that's you know that's quite a bit lighter and more nimble than the torrent is but not going 30 miles more past 30 miles on a treadmill leading into this i was a little nervous about like just some of that certain like you know like my lower legs how they would respond um so I was just being a little more cautious and adding a little more cushion to it, but uh, mm-hmm. it worked great. It worked great on the day. I think it was, I don't think I would change it if I had to go back. No, no. And, and to answer your question, Zach, um, in regards to, you know, changing up the speed, um, you know, uh, what I, what I noticed on the treadmill is it's really nice to activate your glutes um, by, by picking up that pace and, and doing a bit of a ladder, um, mm-hmm. not picking up the pace dramatically at any one time, but, but doing a little bit of a ladder and, and trying to, to activate the hips and drive through a little bit more just because of the monotony of the treadmill. I, I find it can really, get you into some really ugly patterns that you really don't want to be sitting in for too, too long. And you certainly can uh, with the treadmill. 
So, mm-hmm. but you know, Zach, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your, your diet. I mean, it's, you're quite public with, you know, your fat adapted diet. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, during the event, anybody who was watching was, was noticing what you're fueling with, how often you're fueling. Really, it was a liquid diet on the day. Can, can you speak a little bit more about your, your, your diet, either racing and, and, and when, you're, when you're training? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that baggie of potato chips you mentioned was the only solid food I had on that race. Everything else was liquid. So, yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, I think a lot of times it gets confusing to people because they're looking at like just the wide landscape of variants and diets and trends and all this stuff. And they want to get to know like, okay, what is this person doing? And, and people that are kind of, I guess, living a little bit more of a normal life in terms of the way they exercise, they can probably just plug and play whatever diet they prefer. And it's going to work more or less the same way day in and day out. Whereas, you know, for like ultra marathon runners, there's like some glaring differences throughout the course of the year where like if you're in peak training you know I might be working out 20 hours plus that for a week at some weeks and then the week at like this week for me I'm you know I'll be I'll be hard pressed to hit two hours of workout time if I do even attempt to do that so like uh you know those are like very polarizing like energy expenditures so for me I do like I like to do kind of like a closer to a stricter keto diet or like almost no carbs when I'm in those phases of the season where I'm not training specifically for anything or like just completely recovering, no structure training. And then sometimes during my training when I'm kind of doing a deload week and I'm just stepping back on volume and intensity. And then like the rest of the year, I'm kind of more in, I guess what you call like the high fat, low carb camp where it's not necessarily like keto low or 50 grams or less is usually how that community defines it but it is still lower in carbs than it is fats and proteins. So like when I'm in peak training, I'll let my carbs get up to closer to maybe like 20% of the intake and then have like a 60, 20 split between carbs and proteins for the remainder. Um, and that's just worked really well for me for about the past uh, almost nine years now. And uh, I think there's definitely something about just the low intensity that is a a big variable with ultra marathon versus maybe like a 5k 10k or even a marathon that kind of allows me to maybe tap that fuel shrub substrate in a more meaningful way than i'd be able to get away with if i had to be doing races at lactic threshold or faster uh but uh you know it's it's an interest i think it's interesting and as the distances get longer i think it's it more and more interesting yeah it's certainly uh when you think about what you've been able to adapt to, you would think you'd need a lot more calories shows the efficiency that the body can get to. Yeah. And you know, on the treadmill too, like in a perfect world, I think I would have gotten in a little more. So when I got kind of dehydrated in the beginning, mm-hmm. in order to catch up, I scaled back on, on, uh, some of the calorie sources, just so I didn't want to irritate my stomach in the process. Mm-hmm. So I got a bit behind on that in the, as well. And I ended up taking in about half of what I did at the Pettit center. So at the Pettit center, I think I was in about 40 grams of carbs per hour, which is pretty low. I think if someone's on a moderate to high carbohydrate diet, they're probably going to be aiming for 50 to 70 grams if they can get it in an ultra marathon. So 40 is still kind of below that, but uh, that's about as high as I'll usually go on a race. If it's like a, a focus race, whereas at the, um, at the treadmill event, I think I was closer to 20, if not a little under from carbohydrate intake. And I do kind of notice that like, I can get away with 20 grams an hour if I can keep my heart rate by at around 140 to 145. But if I start flexing up to like 150, 155, it's going to start feeling a little unsustainable. Um, So 
I'm maybe just not defending my muscle glycogen enough when I'm getting up into those little higher heart rates. Whereas at the Pettit Center, I felt pretty comfortable flexing up to that when I was getting in that extra like 20, 20 ish grams of carbohydrate per hour. And um, it is kind of an interesting thought process though, because it's like you slide that scale over towards burning a higher rate of fat uh, at different, at varying paces. And in theory, then you have to eat less carbohydrates, but you also probably in theory can't eat as many carbohydrates because you're just not training your system to process it that much. So mm -hmm. it does seem like you kind of got, you're left with kind of these almost two decisions to make. It's like either moderate high carb and practice your race fueling uh, to try to get in like three, 400 calories an hour uh, or train your body to kind of burn higher rates of fat so you can get away with like 200 calories or less like, like I do or like Jeff Browning does or Mike McKnight or some, a couple other guys who kind of followed a little bit of what I've been doing in the last few years. Well, I think that overall, you know, Zach, you, you've got it dialed in. Um, when it comes to your, you know, 100-mile distance, um, you know, what you're doing is definitely working for your body's physiology. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, and I agree with you. There are so many different runners out there using different, different tools and different uh, sliding scales when it comes to caloric intake, carbohydrate intake, you know, fat intake during, during races, um, and, and training, of course, too, and, and, and training even the gastric emptying. Um, it's really remarkable just how many different types of athletes there are that are succeeding in the sport. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it is funny to look at like just the, the inter-race fueling of like, you know, different folks and you, you can find ever, basically everything. And it's a, I think it maybe sometimes confuses people because then they're just like, well, well, what, what, what do I do? <laughs> and, I could, mm -hmm. and then the answer, I guess, I mean, and it's, why, it's what I think is interesting about our sport is we, we just don't know really what's happening for sure, like at mile 70, mile 80, mile 90, in a lot of cases, to, to be able to tell someone like, well, this is by far like your number one source. So we, we have to almost bring it down to the individual level then rather than giving blanket recommendations. And I really like that kind of piece of the, the problem solving puzzle. I think it's what interests me a lot about ultra marathon is, you know, if, if you, if there's people out there who can tolerate 400 plus calories an hour and it's like, well, then they can probably get away with uh, <laughs> taking in that much fuel over the course of a day. Whereas there's folks a little more like, like my line, along my line where when I start getting up above 40 and start flirting with 50, if it's a race, that's going to be double digit hours, I'm probably flirting with some stomach issues. So you have to like uh, kind of decide what to do about that and, and find something that's going to kind of work and, and, uh, and, and not like ruin your race from a non-fitness standpoint, which I think is like the biggest bummer when you have a race go sideways and it wasn't because you weren't fit or weren't ready. It was because you made a mistake nutritionally or did something, something that was preventable, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, 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 I, I agree with you. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's the further you end up running that it find you, you find that it's an, it's a narrower um, walkway to walk and, and, you know, you make a minor little error and, and you're, 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 you're done. Right. Um, I was watching as well, too, during the 100 miles. I was really interested about your heart rate and how your heart rate variability really didn't you know, increase or decrease um, and how you really kept that dialed in. Can, can you talk a little bit more about your heart rate and your heart rate values uh, while you're racing? Yeah, you know, usually for the treadmill was a little little bit of an outlier, I guess, compared to what I've seen in the past for 100 mile races, although uh, when you kind of put it in time perspective, maybe it makes sense. Um, I alluded to it a little bit before. It's like at the Pettit Center, I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure my average heart rate was right around 150 for 
for that. So I was most likely operating pretty tightly between 145 and 155. Uh, my splits were really even at the Pettit Center. I was like 540 for the first 50 and 538 for the second 50. And uh, other than I think that did three bathroom stops that day. So like um, other than those miles, they were all pretty, pretty tight, uh, pretty tight up until the end when I was actually running much faster than I had at all that day. Uh, and then I was probably branching up maybe and flirting with 160s for a bit because at that point it was like I could afford to empty the tank. Uh, but yeah, so at the, at the, the treadmill, I think I was, I think I got up to, I flirted with 150 a few times and would get up into like, I think maybe 155 I touched for a real brief bit, but I could kind of tell like when I was getting up above 150 that it just didn't feel sustainable and I didn't want to blow up on the treadmill given the, given the situation that we had like the whole live broadcast and, uh, like guest speakers and stuff coming in. So I wasn't sure how much I wanted to attempt that. And, and you do kind of know, like, I mean, the treadmill's different because I hadn't done it before, but I do kind of know, like, just from perceived effort, like, what feels sustainable versus what doesn't for 100 miles. And your body does give, does I think, does a pretty good job of alerting you when you're kind of getting a little bit out of control and need to, like, consider scaling back a bit. So when I would kind of just listen to my perceived efforts, it felt sustainable when I was at, like, 140 to 145, and it felt a little unreasonable when I'd get up above that for too long. So I tried to, when I was working the speeds differently, I tried to make sure that I wasn't sitting on too fast of a speed for too long. That would let my heart rate climb up above 150, at least in the last like third of the race. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to be able to see all that data too and see it in live as well, because like, I mean, we have heart rate monitors and things that you can check, but I don't know. I'm not really looking at that too often during a race where I'm on like a track or a trail, but on the treadmill, it's like, you're looking for things to distract you. So you got this number sitting right in front of you. It's, <laughs> you can kind of stare at it and yeah. give it paid a little more attention than maybe you would in, in normal circumstances. You touched on something that's interesting. You know, you felt some pressure from having a lot of people who are going to watch on YouTube and, you know, you're going after a record and, uh, you know, you've gone after records before, uh, do you feel like this one added some additional pressure that you then had to work through? And did you like that? Yeah, I think it was just a little different type of pressure because I felt like, you know, in most races, like uh, I'll go in and if I decide like, okay, I'm going to go after the record today, or I'm going to go after a PR today. I know that if I blow up and fail, I'm basically just negatively impacting myself. Like it's a, it's a downer for me, I guess. And, and, you know, it's a bummer to be a crew and stuff of that. So like, you know, close friends and family obviously care, but in the grand scheme of things, like you're not letting a whole lot of people down. I don't think when you go for something and blow up, whereas with this situation, it was like, we had, uh, you know, almost 30 people, including Dave, like that gave a part of their weekend time to me to come in and commentate and tell stories about, you know, whatever it is they wanted to talk about. And, you know, thinking about like blowing up and like, not being able to finish the last four hours and having to tell those people, Hey, yeah, you can come on if you want, but there's nothing really going on here. <laughs> so, so I wanted to be like pretty mindful of, of, of that as well. And not, not put myself in a position where, you know, the worst case scenario, I'm, I'm walking on the treadmill for the last four hours and there's not a whole lot, a lot going on when people kind of, uh, and, and that's just the guests too, like, you know, the sponsors and everything too kind of play a part there where there, there was a lot of like, um, time put into kind of the production value of the live stream and stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, 
it was something I wouldn't have been able to do on myself either. So it just felt like there was maybe a little more people counting on me to do something uh, and do it right versus a normal race where I think there's a little more flexibility to, to have a bad day or if you're not feeling good to kind of chalk it up as a loss and go back and do it again. Whereas this one felt like it was maybe a little more of a one-off type of thing where you do it, do it once and you do it right. Or you don't, and you don't do it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just, you know, it's so fascinating, you know, Dave uh, and over 2000 people, including me had participated in the quarantine backyard uh, ultra a couple months ago. And, you know, you got thousands of people and then there's the, you know, the run across Tennessee that gets 18,000 yeah. people that Laz organized and that's got some visibility. Now you, are we seeing, you know, that this COVID-19 may have taken ultra marathoning into a much more visible sport that we've actually created entertainment while we're participating. How do you feel about that between the two of you guys? Cause it's, this is a sport that was relatively obscure, you know, uh, amongst popular you know, press and everything. And now you got Sports Illustrated, Running Magazine, everything's like, and, and now you're on stage on television. Yeah. Who, who would have imagined that? So what do you guys think about that? Yeah, um, I think it's, it's really interesting because I think what we've, I think there's a couple things at play here. I think the ultra running community that's been here has always been starving for content because, you know, we have these races that are phenomenal races, but really like outside of like a a spreadsheet popping up with splits and like, you know, maybe a Twitter feed on, on what uh, during Western States and then some pre-race and post-race interviews, you're really not getting a whole lot of like, like really integrated uh, events where like someone could sit there and watch all day and just be ingrained like they would for maybe UTMB is probably the biggest example of them mm -hmm. doing a really high production yeah. value mm -hmm. type thing. And I think people see that and they're like, wow, this is what we want. This is what we want. So uh, I think that, combined with folk, like what you were saying, Joe, where like now there's people paying attention because there are no basketball games. There's no hockey games. There's no football games and all that stuff right now. So they're like, I want to see something, some human performance type stuff happening. So maybe some people are tuning in that wouldn't otherwise. I also think, you know, running has this unique kind of characteristic of getting more popular when things are less certain, when certainly when gyms get closed. So there's also probably new runners coming into the community that are like trying to learn trying to kind of figure out what it's all about because they're starting to like realize that they actually like to run after being forced to do it for four or five weeks because uh, their gym got closed um, or because it was all they had. Uh, so I'm really excited to see kind of what this ends up doing. Like when we kind of get through the whole COVID-19 experience, if it like highlights a need for more like more in-depth detailed coverage of events and how they would even go about doing that. Or if it just becomes like, you know, event organizers are kind of feel like it's worth spending the extra money to bring in folks that can cover it in a high, you know, pay someone to come in and cover it in more detail and see where that goes. Cause I think there's maybe an appetite for it now. Uh, and as the sport keeps growing, that appetite's just going to get, going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. And I, and I agree. Um, you know, I think that there's always been a fascination when it comes to ultra marathoning and, you know, you know, you know, we've, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I was hearing about ultramarathoning and I was wondering how, how the hell are people doing this? Um, it's, 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 it's astonishing. I mean, and really it comes down to the human's ability, ability to endure. And it's, it's, it's really enjoyable watching that go through its process. What's really cool about 
um, you know, take the event that we put on Quarantine Backyard. We've got another one happening in July. Um, you know, watching you, Zach, um, you know, doing your, your treadmill 100 miles, that we now have access, everyone has access to watching this as and watching it as it plays out. Um, otherwise, there are events that happen you know, UTMB, Western States, and, you know, they're at a distance and, you know, you're, you're waiting for, you know, Iran to, to, to bring up the footage or whatever it is. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting right now. And also, I think coupled with that is the issue that we're all having right now with that we're caught in a, in a global, you know, pandemic. And there's a lot of people that aren't okay out there right now. And, you know, the fact that, you know, we as humans, we endure, and we find a way to kind of you know inch and claw um, forward and 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 accomplish what we say that we're going to do. I, I think it's pretty cool. It's a very unique uh, position uh, situation that we have, but it's also um, very unique to 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 the timing of of COVID nineteen and uh, just where we are as human beings at this time. Yeah, and yeah. so you know maybe another question along these lines is that. You know, we have, I think throughout history, always been curious about, you know, this idea of not just endurance, but about, you know, the, the human uh, desire to push themselves. You know, we, the marathon started, you know, thousands of years ago, and it was, you know, it became fascination in its own way. And so, you know, what's interesting, Zach, is, you know, for you and, and Dave, of course, to share a little bit more so we get this, you know, visibility. Um, so question is like, you know, was 12 hours it for you on a treadmill or you, you know, could you go longer, you know, is it, you know, something you want to continue to do and learn about it and make it, because there's a lot of people who say, well, I, I love running outside, but I could never run on a treadmill. Um, is that another part of the sport that's going to develop? Because, you know, ultra is the, you know, the bearded guys running in the woods and, you know, that whole thing. But Maybe there's a whole different part of it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think we're just going to see like more of the like different disciplines just kind of grow as everything kind of keeps growing. I mean, I think we've been a little lopsided here in the United States, especially with the trail side of things. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It kind of, you know, the, the big the big draw was kind of like the born to run craze. And then Dean Carnassus first book where he was kind of heavy about on trails for a lot of the exciting stuff in there. And uh, I think that drew people out to this, this idea of this, like kind of like going, going back to nature and, you know, being out there. And that was like a big piece to that puzzle. And then with that, that's where like the events tended to be. So um, I think we'll see as the sport continues to grow and it becomes more of a, like an actual sport as opposed to like, okay, here's a group of people who are just going to kind of get together, run all day and then drink some beers at the end to more of a, like, this is actually something I'm going to invest the next six months in training for specifically we'll start seeing people start finding, trying to fine tune things where it's like, well, I live in Chicago, so I'm going to try to train for this race because it's flat. Like I have available to me or, you know, I live, you know, you know, out in uh, California. So I have access to these smooth buttery trails. I'm going to train for a race that goes like that. And people will get just a little more specific um, mm -hmm. on the, like the pointy end of the, of the field. And I think with that, you're going to see like good examples of each discipline and that's just going to open up doors for people who are coming into the sport to have options versus just thinking, you know, this is the only thing I have is this trail race or like when I got into the sport, when I did my first one, I did the, the, the North face 50 mile Midwest uh, in Wisconsin. And like, I didn't even know ultra marathons happened on the roads until a little bit after that. So like, 
I think like that's kind of like the what I'm getting at with that is I think the sport will get enough notoriety and there'll be enough range amongst the the folks that are getting the press that when people get into the sport it won't be hard for them to find like oh yeah there's road ones there's track ones there's treadmill ones there's trail ones and you know some will probably still continue to gravitate more more of the population towards them but uh i think as a whole we're going to see just a lot more of, of everything yeah you bet and, and and so getting back to the treadmill zach um you know i was i was curious while i was watching you running on the treadmill and i was you know curious because you were running in your home and your, your wife nicole was there um you might have had one or two other people i saw somebody coming in with a, a face mask that was taking taking photographs i know guinness world records is really uh you know stickly on on on, on getting all their their data um but you know when i ended up running the 100 miles on the treadmill i did it in front of thousands of people at a at a marathon expo and people would come out in front of me and they would cheer me on at different times and you know, I had a lot of distractions um, with people and media and different things that were going on. And I, I do well with, with a lot of distractions happening all, all, all around me. You know, you were in your home. Um, you were probably 20 steps away from your, your sofa and, and, and your fridge with a beer, um, you know, your warm shower. Um, I, did, did you find that it was, it was really difficult uh, do it, doing it in, 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 in private, uh, in your own home? Would you have preferred to have done it in more of a public place? Yeah, I think for sure. I think the only reason why, I think I got away with something on this particular setup that made it a little more unique than it would have been if I had just decided to hop on that treadmill and just do it like without the whole event around it. And that's just, I was tuning in to the live broadcast for about half of it. I think I listened to maybe six or seven hours worth of that. And then would go back and forth between that and just listening to music. So um, part of me kind of felt like there were people there because it would just like, it's, you know, when people are commentating about you and then talking about other things as well, it just almost feels like, um, like the, that you're not just there by yourself. So I think I maybe found a way to kind of hack that a little bit. Whereas, you know, I remember thinking a couple of times, like during the, during the run though, like had I just decided to do this on my own with a video camera and just me, I don't know how if I, I I definitely wouldn't have finished as fast and I don't know that I would have finished to be honest with you. So I think it's uh, I think if I do it again, it'll be something like more along the lines of an expo or a trade show type of thing. If, uh, for that very reason, I think actually like the longer it gets, the more you're gonna have a need for that because, you know, if I would do like a 24 hour, my thought and, and Dave, you can maybe add some actual real uh, thought on this because you've done it. But um. I think because then you're going relatively slower, it's a little right. easier to take in the distractions versus when you start getting a little bit faster paces and things, then it's like distractions can, can also distract you from hitting the paces you're trying to hit. Um, so then I think like, I mean, an expo that lets you have people around you for 24 hours is probably a tall ask, but <laughs> um, that's kind of my thought on that. Yeah, no, and I, and I agree. And I, I think, you know, having a longer period of time, I've done the 24 hour and the, the 100 miles. Um, what I noticed within the 24 hour was, you know, at the beginning, you were all excited and then everybody went home and you're running overnight. And then they all came back the next morning. Mm -hmm. And at times you think, oh, I'm going to look forward to seeing these people. But then at other times you thought, you know, these people need to go. And, you know, I like, you know, with Zach, I was looking at your treadmill and it looked like you were 
looking down the hallway um, mm -hmm. from, you know, out from the room. And so I was really curious what was at the end of that hallway. But like I know with during my 24 hour treadmill, um, my treadmill was faced into the crowd. And because of the way you're running and your arms are swinging, you don't really want to be looking around and, 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 and looking somewhere differently for any period of time. And I remember people kept coming right into my square. And oh. I, I got very protective of my square, but they could stand wherever they wanted, but they would continually stand in my, my square. Mm -hmm. And that really started irritating me after a while. So uh, what was at the end of your hallway? Were you staring at a, a speck on the wall? Were you, was there a TV at the end of the hallway? What were you looking at? That, that's a great question, actually, because, uh, you know, I had the two treadmills set up and the one was actually facing the entry door to that room, which was closest to the wall. And the other one was just a little to the side. So the reason I ended up spending the majority of the final like 30, 40 miles on that one treadmill was because I could see out into the room, which is like our like if you look when that room, the door, when you look out, you see like our kitchen our dining room and like a corner of our uh, living room. So if I was on that treadmill, I had, it was like, it kind of tunnels your vision because of the door frame. So you could still keep that little focus that you were talking about, but I could see things going on out there. Like my wife walking around, the dog walking around, uh, Derek was doing the photography stuff and taking, taking splits and things like that was walking around. And it was just, there was like more, uh, like visual distractions, I guess. Whereas the other one, it literally was staring at a white wall. So, <laughs> so I, I learned to like that other one a little better over the course of the day. And it just ended up trying to stay on that one as much as I could. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of why and what was there. You know, you talked about mile 87 being a difficult moment. If you looked at across the hundred miles, were there times where you were like, oh my God, I just did 10 and I didn't realize it went by quickly. And then there were times where we did three and you're like, God, that's all I did was three. Did that happen at all? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. And uh, usually I won't take caffeine in at the start and I'll start doing that like maybe around five hours in if I'm planning on being out there for like around 12 hours. So at around hour five, I took in like the first bit of caffeine and I feel like that made like, I guess I probably would have been like somewhere in the 40 mile range at that point. And then I, I remember like 42 to 52 went by pretty quick. And then like 52 to like 62 went by pretty quick. Um, then you kind of get to a point where it's like, all right, 62, there's enough mileage in your leg where you're really starting legs, you're starting to feel it. But 38 miles is kind of a little bit to wrap your head, start wrapping your head around that you kind of get a little bit, a little bit discouraged maybe, or you just have to like focus a little harder than you normally do. And, and those was start, start, the miles started to kind of creep slower at that point. Um, you know, I think if I remember right, 70 to 80 wasn't too bad. I think 80 to 90 was probably the roughest spot, which makes sense because at 87 is when I took the break. Um, but uh, yeah, then once I got back on the treadmill at 87, I felt about as good as I did all day. And uh, at that point, I kind of knew like, 13 miles is a very achievable distance on a treadmill, even with my brief exposure to it uh, in, in training even. So like it was uh, kind of a, a relief to know like, okay, now I can just start counting down versus like waiting to count down, which is, you know, you get kind of anxious when you're just kind of in the middle of the day and it's like, you know, it's too soon to start counting down, but like, what are you going to do with your time? <laughs> kind of a mindset. <laughs> There's a lot of science behind this. Did your, when you got off the treadmill, how, how low would your heart rate get in that two minutes from the 150? Yeah, you know, I checked it a couple times. I want to say it would drop down to around 90, 
if I was off for more than a minute, if I was only, if I was just like switching to the other treadmill, it probably didn't even dip below a hundred. But I do remember, cause I was wearing one on my wrist and I had one on the screen as well. And I would check them both to see if they were, if they were uniform and they were pretty much on like within one beat from each other the whole day. So like when I would step off the treadmill, I did check the heart rate a couple of times as it was, as I was off and it, it would usually dip down around 90 or so before, um, before I'd start getting back up and then, then it started climbing back up pretty fast. Yeah. And that's amazing. You know, that, that, you know, when you're that fit, Zach, that you can, you can recover as quickly as you, as you, as you, as you do. Um, maybe walk us through, you know, leading up into the treadmill event, um, your, some of your, you know, some of your training weeks, um, were you tapering for a couple of weeks beforehand and what, what did, what did the training weeks look like leading into this? Yeah. So the kind of interesting thing about this was I was training for a hundred miler in London on the track, the Centurion hundred. So the bulk of my training build up to this was actually done with the mindset that I was going to be on a 400 meter track, which I guess is about as close as you can get to a treadmill without being on the treadmill. So I felt like that was one of the reasons why I, I thought this would be a good, a good event to kind of sub in because it was about as close as I could get without getting what I was originally aiming for. And I had had, I had just kind of entered like my peaking phase for the specific section of my training where I'm focusing like really a lot of volume on race intensity stuff. So I had a couple of 140 mile weeks that I was doing um, over a hundred of them at hundred mile intensity, goal intensity, and doing like back-to-back -back long runs on the track. And then the event got canceled right as I was going to do like a deload week after that second 140 miler. And uh, it was during that week, I think, that I started thinking about like, okay, maybe I'll do a treadmill run at some point since it was becoming pretty clear that I wouldn't see another event, at least in the first half of 2020. And uh, once I decided, okay, I think I might do this, I started hopping on the treadmill a little more, more, a little more frequently. Um, but I didn't quite get maybe as big of a final build as I normally would. I did a, I did a few 120 mile weeks, which were, I was feeling pretty fit. So I didn't want to necessarily attempt too much at that point, just based on, especially based on kind of like rip my race frequency from last year. Uh, but I got like about that last month before taper. I think I had three weeks where I was about 120 miles and I was spending about 50, 60 of them on the treadmill. And then I had a couple weekends where I did like back to back 20, I did a back to back 22 and a back to back 21 miler. Um, that final, uh, weekend before the, before my taper, which was about two weeks. So, um, in hindsight, I think like in a perfect, if I was, if I was just, just going to train for a treadmill event for like four, four months or something like that, I think I would have spent a lot more time on the treadmill and that maybe would have helped me better understand the fluid side of things and, uh, have a better look, maybe a little more mental fortitude during some of those spots. But, uh, it's hard to it's hard to say <laughs> yeah so you've been ultra running for uh, quite a bit of time and you know part of the question i think everyone always sort of wants to know is you know like why ultra running i mean you could probably be a pretty good marathoner and you know are you finding out something bigger than just that i can break a record is there something in that spirit that you're finding out about yourself that you're both happy to find out or still curious about yeah, you know, my draw to ultra running in the first place, I think, was just kind of that the like when I was in college and running track and field and cross country, like one thing I learned from that experience was that the long run was my favorite workout of the week. So like our coach would jokingly say sometimes like 
most of you guys, you go and come in, you come in on Sunday morning to do the long runs. You know it's going to make you faster on Saturday. Zach comes in because he actually wants to do the long run. <laughs> so, it's, so I think it was like pretty apparent early on that that was kind of my my preferred workout. Uh, so after college, I kind of just started doing more volume based stuff and kind of scaled back on any of the intensity. And uh, you know, I feel like that's a a fairly good channel to lead you towards ultra. And I was actually familiar pretty early on about ultra marathons in general, like my senior year in high school, my, my high school coach had told me about this crazy guy who had run like 262 consecutive miles, which was Dean, obviously. <laughs> and he was planning on trying to run 300 miles without sleep. And I remember thinking, wow, I wouldn't even have guessed that that was a, like a thing. And I mean, I didn't even know they were events yet. I just thought this was a, a guy who I took running super seriously and decided to do a ton of it. And then in, in college, when I read his book, I kind of was more introduced to a little bit more about the sport, but I didn't really necessarily do a whole lot of homework in terms of what types of events there were. So when I first did my first ultra marathon, I, my thought was like trails were kind of like just what that sport was for the most part. And, uh, but you know, I had a really good first experience. I think that kind of like the whole, like going to a starting line, knowing that like in training, you did not run the distance you're going to run that day was kind of appealing to me from just like a curiosity standpoint. And I think that's probably what's drawn me to the hundred mile distance is because like, you can only do so many hundred milers every year. Um, so like, you're always fairly removed from what it actually is going to feel like to run yeah. from 70 to a hundred. Yeah. And I would imagine it gets even more like, like unknown like that as you go up in distances and do 24 hours and 48 hours and some of these like really long races. So I think that's been kind of an appeal to me that was unique compared to other endurance events that for whatever reason I kind of gravitated to or enjoyed. And that's probably what's kind of kept me sticking around versus like, you know, saying, okay, let's go back and just see if I can, you know, PR in the marathon or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, and, and Zach, and, and tell me if I'm tell me if I'm wrong and if I'm overstepping here, but you know, one of the things that I really, really enjoy watching you when you're running on the treadmill or or you know, even in six days in the dome this past year, is you walk into a zone and you know, it seems like you're 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 very comfortable there. Um, you know, what's going on in your head? Uh, what are you thinking about? Do you do you kind of practice no mind principles or or mindful practices? Um, where do you, where do you go when you're at 70 and 80 and 90 miles of a, of a hundred mile race? Yeah. I think one thing I really learned to do much better the last couple of years that it just took me a little while to kind of figure this side of things out was that like you can, if you visualize like mile 70 to a hundred in training, when you're doing like a 30 mile long run, when you get to that point on race day, it feels way more like you've done those reps. So it's almost like a, like I envision what like a, maybe like an NBA basketball player would do. They would envision themselves like taking a game winning jump shot or envision themselves like, you know, like uh, doing whatever it is their skill set is like many times before they actually go out and do it. So I've been like, I really do prioritize my long runs and try to like, just pretend like, okay, if I got a 30 mile long run today, this whole run, I'm going to be pretending I'm at mile 70 of a hundred and chipping off all that way down. So then by the time you get to the race, you feel like you've done it like eight, nine, 10 times. Uh, whereas like when you don't do that, you don't really remember except for what the last hundred mile you did, which could be like quite a ways away if you'd been waited a while to do, a, do another one. And I feel like that's probably something that's helped me the most in the last couple of years with some of these longer events is that visualization stuff. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think just generally speaking too, in the rest of the race, uh, when I first started taking specificity really seriously, it was in like 2015 and I was living in Davis, California at the time and I was training for desert solstice. So I would go to the, the UC Davis track, uh, almost every day in my buildup for that. And I would just run like laps and laps and laps. And I would just practice like kind of like removing my mind from the environment. So like I got really good at essentially like just tuning out. So like, it's like, I'm not even at this track right now. I'm just running. And I mean, so much of it's just almost like daydreaming at that point that you forget what you were actually thinking about. Um, but there are a lot of things that kind of pass through your mind and stick. Like for me, I like think about, I think a lot about just how much time I spent training and preparing. Cause I think that puts me in a positive mindset to wrap my head around how long I'm going to be out there. It's like even a 12 hour day seems small compared to like four months worth of training. Uh, so you can really, I think, trick your brain into minimizing the task versus letting it kind of blow it up to something so spectacular that you can't achieve and you get kind of like paralysis by analysis almost. Right. And, and do you find that like with those mindful practices that you, that, you know, you, you really have perfected, um, you know, during your racing and in your training, do you find that that transcends as well too into your, into your everyday life? Like you take, you know, quarantine and in, in, in the COVID, you know, world that's in front of us right now um do you find that you're you know better able to to adapt and, and and cope with with some of the stresses because of your training well my wife says i zone out quite a bit so it must be <laughs> no, I but I mean, you're you're i think you're 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 right about that though like i think um just uh even even i mean it's kind of cliche because you hear it from endurance sport a lot but it is like just like you know what you're capable of then it makes like other things in life seem a little more achievable. So like when you start comparing, especially like, you know, if you got to do something you don't want to do for a couple hours or you find yourself getting bored or something like that, it's like, you know, like you start thinking like, well, how, how silly is that relative to what I know I'm capable of or what I've done in the past. And I think like that is uh, you know, that, that, that's what's like, I think such a valuable piece to the, to working hard in general is it really does kind of normalize uh it, it normalizes hard work and then it makes like you appreciate just any comfort you actually do get um i think that that's something that like you know as we become more and more developed we start seeing slip away a little bit where there's not as many kind of you know things that you have to get over in your day-to-day -day life so sometimes it's like you're almost searching for that because i think as humans we're like historically we've had to work hard to get what we want or get what we need and and uh sometimes now you almost have to put that in there artificially just to kind of keep that that mindset in check i think so um i think like ultra marathoning as a whole has been like a huge advantage for me with that sort of thing in terms of just staying motivated if it's a deadline for a project i'm trying to do or you know it's like i have to get a lot of stuff done in a short period of time just know like okay if i put my mind to it and i sit here and focus i'll get i'll get it done and it doesn't feel quite as probably quite as uh, painstaking as it would if I, if I, if I hadn't ever become an ultra marathon runner. So maybe it is that the, the life of comfort that we've all sort of ended up with um, may not be as satisfying as, as really we want. And we need to do something hard to get that intrinsic return. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's like uh, you, you do something hard and something that's, that we would call type two fun where you're putting your body through pain. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that can be just like being in poor weather. It can be like exercising and all that stuff. Then like 
you do something that would normally be really boring, like just stepping into air conditioning or taking a shower and you're like, oh, this feels so good. This feels nice. Like I actually enjoy this. Whereas like, I think if you don't do those things, you just kind of go through the motions like, okay, now I have to take a shower. Now I'm going to you know, sit and watch TV. You're not like grateful for those things any longer because you didn't have, you didn't feel like you had to earn them or work hard for them anymore. Well, yeah, and I, I, I couldn't agree more, Zach. I, I heard the analogy years ago that, you know, go, go sit in your, your favorite chair at home and, and tell me how that feels. Mm-hmm. Now go run 100 miles and then go sit in that chair. And, and then at that point, you're, you're going to find God. That, that will be the most comfortable chair <laughs> yeah. ever of all times. And so, you know, when it comes to, you know, Zach, I, I see that you're, you're right at the top end of, you know, your kind of self-actualization and your, you know, your journey of, 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 of living right on that razor's edge of like how far is, how much can we really do with human potential? But, you know, I, I see you, you know, six days ago on, on, you know, getting on the treadmill and, and doing that massive production. It was a really, it was really, really well done. Um, but, you know, a lot like me, you know, there's a bit of a swagger that you have to kind of go through in order to even consider that, right? Uh, because take the treadmill even with technical aspects of running on a treadmill and, and really they're fed by power and you know it's you know there could be so many things that go wrong and there could be things that also go wrong during your event um, and you know you, you take um, you know the embarrassment of let's say you know six hours in if something goes wrong well then you have dead air for the next six hours that's that's really not good so you know I see you Zach as being somebody that is really not fearful of too, too much, um, in the running world, uh, what, what, what scares you right now? Uh, what, what intimidates you? Uh, a nice long technical descent. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah. But yeah. I think, you know, to be honest though, I think like even within something that's kind of more in my wheelhouse, which is like a more runnable course is just like, you know, some of these like longer events, like some of these 200 milers, I mean, even a 24 hour, like I haven't done the 24 hour yet. And I mean, I've been in 24 hours. I haven't stayed in the entire 24 hours yet. So I think there's like, there's still a lot of stuff I think I can improve on and I can learn to do, to, to do well at something like that or things I'll have to learn to do well at that, I guess is maybe the way to look at it that I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to, but, um, you know, looking forward to is one way to say it, but you know, when you're, when I, when I'm looking forward to something from a challenging standpoint, it's because there's a fear there, right? Like that's why you get into the sport in the first place. Like my first 50 miler, I was going to run 20 miles further than ever had before. So that was the fear there that scared me, but that's kind of the draw. It's like, I'm going to go turn something that would normally scare me into something that no longer scares me because now I know how to do it. And then you do that for a hundred K and then you do that for a hundred miles. And, you know, at some point I, I hope to do that for 24 hours. And then who knows where you go from there as this sport continues to remind us, it's like, there never seems to be an actual end to the number of distances, the distances you can go if you want, if you want to keep stretching it out. So um, I kind of, I look forward to that and, but I'm also like uh, legitimately afraid of some of it too. <laughs> That's good to hear. I think for all of us who are, not maybe at the top end of the sport, you know, you've been a a fabulous, um, you know, first interview for us. And it's, I think, a lot of really good insights, you know, as we sort of wrap up a little bit, you know, we've, we've named the podcast Chasing Tomorrow, the theme that Dave and I sort of live by, which is, you know, 
yesterday is really cool, but tomorrow is going to be better. And, uh, but cause that's in our control, you know, that's really uh, both attitude, opportunity, no need for permission to live a big life. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Zach decided he didn't need anyone's approval to go and do this. And so as you think about sort of just, you know, your thought on tomorrow for yourself, what's, what's next, you know, both physically, mentally, emotionally, that you were sort of trying to find out and going to go after coming up here after this, you know, this amazing uh, result you just came up with. Yeah. You know, one thing I've liked to do a bit of, especially now that I live out in Phoenix and have access to a variety of more terrains is like, you know, go a little more back and forth between trail stuff and road and flatter running stuff. So I've been doing a little more of the flatter runnable stuff for the most part the last year. So I think if we see events start popping back up, I might try to do something on the trails for a bit. But um, if that doesn't happen to be the reality, I'm actually, I'm planning on doing a transcon next year in March where I'll run from San Francisco to New York. Nice. So, yeah. So I've taught, if, if we want to talk about things I'm afraid of, <laughs> that's one of them, but, uh, I think it'll be, a, an amazing learning experience and something that is going to be uh, once in a lifetime kind of opportunity. So if we would find out, say like in the next month, yeah, there's just not going to be any organized racing. I'd maybe just put a little more attention in making sure I've got all the box check boxes checked for that and start kind of manipulating my training a little earlier than I would otherwise in terms of getting ready to being able to uh, kind of be in it for the long haul, I guess. Cause like to date, my racing mentality has been like you destroy yourself on race day because you can afford to, cause tomorrow you don't have to move. Whereas with a transcon project, like if I want to try to target Pete's record of like he averaged like 72 miles a day, which is mind blowing. Like Amazing. I think, uh, you know, if I run 72 miles, not only that first day, do I have to get up and repeat it, but I have to on the third, the fourth, the fifth, and then continue for almost seven weeks. So like, uh, it's just a different approach. I think knowing like you have to make this goal of around 72 miles today, but you have to do it in a way that makes it sustainable so you can get out and do it again tomorrow. Um, and I think that's just going to take a little bit different of an approach from what I've been doing historically. So mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, you know, if we don't race again this year, maybe I get a little better at, get better prepared for that, for that experience. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, coming from myself where I, you know, in 2018, I, I tried to run across Canada in record time. So it was over a hundred kilometers a day. Um, and I'm going to do it again here next year. Um, it's a very different body system, right. Um, mm-hmm. and a very different mental approach to, uh, to, 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 to doing this. So, so yeah, Zach, anytime you want to take this offline and, and even conference, uh, you know, Pete and myself, I would, I would love to, to wrap with you about this stuff. So, yeah. you know, I think it's, yeah, yeah. You should do that. That'd be great. I'm, I know I can learn a ton from both of you guys. So, uh, um, cool. I'll, yeah, so cheer by the, I'll cheer on the sidelines and uh, <laughs> we'll do a podcast before and after uh, with you. So, um, awesome. amazing. Yeah, yeah. I just got to ask, Dave, what you said you're doing, you're going across Canada in the next couple of weeks? No, uh, next year we were supposed to do it. We were supposed to, I was supposed to be in um, Newfoundland right now. Oh, uh, May okay. 18th, we were supposed to, to start the run in, in St. John's and come this way. It was 105 kilometers a day for 67 days in a row. Um, okay. And so, you know, that's why I end up grabbing onto this Laz, you know, Laz's run across Tennessee and I've been plugging 100 every day. And, and so it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, the fitness is there because, you know, I've been building my body systems, but you know, it's, it's really about, you know, managing your systems and fueling properly. And mm-hmm. if you're not running, you're eating. If you're not eating, you're sleeping. It's more of an eating contest than yeah. a running contest. And, 
And so, um, but it's fascinating, you know, the idea that you could start way over here and end way over there yeah. and, and trying to do it as quick, quickly as you can. I, I was absolutely fascinated when Pete Kostelnik was, was doing it, both the, the Transcon and also his key to key. Um, mm-hmm. he's, that was uh, almost more impressive, I think, because oh. he just self-sustained. Like, oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. amazing, for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Zach, you've been amazing. We're, we're in the running community. We love what you're doing uh, and then sharing your experience the way you did. And you've been so generous with your time, not just with us, but everyone. That really does mean a lot because as we bring uh, ultra running into sort of more of a mainstream, uh, getting access to the, the top of the, of the trade is amazing, Dave, as well. And so, uh, you know, we're going to be your big fans here in, uh, on the sidelines and look forward to hearing more about your big plans for next year. That was a pretty exciting way to sort of end up this. So we'll, uh, we'll be helping any way we can. Dave, any last words? No, what, what I hear here is, is that, you know, Zach Bitter is, is really chasing tomorrow. I mean, he's, you, you are, you know, you're, you're, you really don't have any fear. Uh, and whatever fears that you do have, you're, you're taking them on head on. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that anybody who's watching this, this, this program, um, you know, get out there and, and, and test your boundaries. Um, you know, be willing to fail before you succeed. Um, because I know that, that Zach is, you, you've gone through your trials and tribulations and, and I'm just sure. so, so excited that you came on today and, uh, and helped to, and, and shared your story with us. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks a lot, Zach. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, as I said, I'm honored to be the first guest. thanks so much and uh, we'll be talking to you soon let's all go out and chase tomorrow thanks very much thanks Zach yeah thanks guys well Dave that was an amazing interview feels like Zach is just getting going and getting stronger and faster we're going to have to track his accomplishments and get him back on the podcast after his next record setting event Speaking of what's next, I want to remind our audience that our next podcast is with John Sharp, who is the first finisher in the great virtual race across Tennessee. The race was a wild idea of Laz Lake and had almost 20,000 people sign up to do a virtual 1,000 kilometers across Tennessee. John's from Texas and he's been competing in ultras for over a decade. And get this, he finished the race in just 27 days. I know you and he have something in common like running Big's Backyard, And I'm also sure that our listeners will enjoy hearing what it was like to run while working full-time over 600 miles in 27 days. And a big shout-out to our sponsor, Performance Tea, and a huge thanks to our listeners for coming with us on this journey and chasing tomorrow.